Yeah, this is one of those movies that has always stayed with me. Mm. I think I saw it in theaters right when it was released in the U.S. for the first time. Mm. And the imagery, the storyline, the sense of wonder, the heroism, mm. it, it was like nothing else I'd ever seen at the time. And then I've returned to it again and again uh, over the years. And each time I watch it, um, just like any great work or text, um, I see something new. And, you know, when I watched it again this last time, what I was really struck with was like, oh, this is a movie about the making of the world we're in. This mm -hmm. is a movie about the beginnings of industrialism, of mm -hmm. empire, of ecological destruction, of, you know, humans divorcing themselves from the natural world. Mm -hmm early modernism and uh it's very much a movie about the world we're living in even though it's set in this you know fantastical far far away uh place and time welcome back to open form i'm michael denzel smith Prince Ashitaka is able to kill the demon attacking his village before it claims any lives of the village people. But before he does so, the demon grabs hold of his arm, leaving him with super strength but also cursed to a painful death. In order to find a cure, he must leave the village permanently and find the great forest spirit. When he comes upon Irontown, whose inhabitants are outcasts from society, he finds himself in the middle of a battle between Lady Eboshi, who seeks to use the natural resources of the land to conquer nature and preserve Irontown, and Princess Mononoke, a girl raised by wolves who will stop at nothing to protect the natural world from human plunder. This week's film is Princess Mononoke, and it was chosen by Ryan Lee Wong, author of the new novel, Which Side Are You On? You're the second person to choose a Miyazaki film uh, in just like the past couple months <laughs> that I've been recording. Uh, the previous one was My Neighbor Totoro um, from Chelsea Martin. And, you know, it's my first time watching any Miyazaki films. And I'm immediately struck, and this is not accidental, by exactly the, the thing that you're talking about, like the focus on ecological disaster and destruction and us as human beings separating ourselves from the natural world and just and the the horrors that are wrought with within that and and there's like but in this film I feel like um you know it's exactly what you're saying in terms of like the building of the modern world you you can see uh you know the beginnings of industrialization the introduction of guns right like modern warfare and and what that does you see levels of greed and empire and the building of capitalism in many ways right like you you're seeing all of these these things play out but i think also the the character of san uh, Princess Mononoke uh, represents this like force within that understanding of like what the the modern world has done uh, in that she's in such despair about it right <laughs> that like she that to the point of I mean she's raised by these wolves but like also to renounce even her humanity to say like I am not human because I don't want to be connected to what humans are doing yeah 
you know, there's kind of a long trope in modern literature and film of someone going quote unquote native, mm-hmm. um, which is a problematic idea, a problematic <laughs> term. But, um, you know, if you think about uh, Heart of Darkness or a movie like Avatar, um, these are very much, I think, explorations of um, usually European modern guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can someone actually renounce their complicity and white supremacy and colonialism and join the other side? Um, but in this case, of course, uh, Princess Mononoke is um, doing something similar, except she's going against humanity itself. Mm-hmm. Um, she's quite literally raised by wolves. Um, she is uh, what, you know, her human enemies would call a terrorist <laughs> her her um, yeah. method of attack is to really just like wreak havoc on mm-hmm. this town to try to assassinate the uh leader of iron town lady aboshi yeah to keep attacking um supply lines until <laughs> these people give up uh, it's it's a form of guerrilla warfare and so she's this really um compelling fascinating case study where um on some level, you know, everyone knows she's human, mm. but um, she hates that and she really wants not to be. Um, and, you know, uh, the the movie is really a, a conversation and negotiation about how much she'll be forced to um, mm. recognize that. Yeah, there feels like, like if you, if you're given to a radical politics, right? <laughs> like there's a feeling almost that Miyazaki is saying like, look at the end result of that. And, and sort of like, you're supposed to look at it with uh, a a critical eye and, and essentially to disparage any form of radical politics they're in. Like there's, there's a lens through which you could view this like, like that, right? Like, Princess Mononoke is just too radical, right? Like her means of trying to bring about the change that she seeks uh, takes things too far. But I, I feel like there's also a part of it that it's just like, there's the the desire though, because of the, the position that Princess Mononoke takes is to renounce her humanity, is to to ask us to to consider like, what does it mean to embrace the ends that she seeks, but to also remain hopeful that humanity could reach those those ends without sort of di- trying to distance ourselves and, like you say, uh, distance ourselves from our own complicity and culpability? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the great um, strains of the movie, to your point about you know radicalism, is that. Um, I think Miyazaki is in turns really compassionate and also really critical towards mm-hmm. all the characters. Mm-hmm. So it might be easy to say um, Princess Mononoke is just, she's taking it too far. But I think, you know, for me, when I first watched the film, I was like, oh, she's so cool. Like, <laughs> she's got this, like, just blood painted on her face. She, like, um, is so skilled with weapons. She's so fast. Um and, you know, you could easily say, like, oh, Lady Eboshi is just this, like, cold-hearted proto-capitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, you find out that she is, um, 
one of the few people who will take in people with leprosy and mm -hmm. she's really built this haven for um girls and women who uh, were forced into sex work mm -hmm. so um the moral nuance of that world is really strong and um you know i think uh at the end of the movie princess mononoke um, she doesn't exactly change her mind, which is interesting. <laughs> uh, you know, spoiler, but you know, <laughs> at the end of the movie, she decides to stay with the wolves. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a pretty um, unexpected turn. I think the the much more traditional or the much more Hollywood turn would be for her and Ashitaka to become a couple and to right. like have their Hollywood kiss. Um, uh, but they don't. And so she does stay true to her vision of her own humanity. And I think the the last thing she says is something like, I can never forgive humanity for what it's done. Mm -hmm. And Ashitaka says, I understand, right? <laughs> like, and and I guess that that's, yeah, to, to sort of offer a rebuttal to the point that I was making about like the idea that you could read, this is something that's like, in, anti-radicalism it is to say that like at the end of this like you're pointing out there's an understanding between these two characters that like look i cannot participate in that princess mononoke is like i can't i can't live that life it's it's unsuitable for me i can't go among the humans who have caused so much destruction i can't i can't with my like morally uh you know uh squared that and ashitaka is like i understand you right like i've witnessed it too but there's a part of him that's just like but i do have to hold on to the world that you know i'm a part of and and help to make it better so that these people aren't running loose and simply destroying the natural world upsetting the gods and causing so much destruction here right like I have to do that that work here. Um, and I feel like there's there's sort of like uh, you know, all tactics on the on the table, right? Like every, every there's there's the inside play and there's the outside, and there's the the say that saying basically that like we have to be able to work in concert with one another to achieve these ends. Yeah. Rewatching it this time, I was really struck by Ashitaka's character. Mm -hmm. I think this is the first time I really thought about his character as the main character, actually, mm -hmm. because Mononoke is so charismatic that mm -hmm. um, she kind of steals the show in many ways. Um, and what's interesting about Ashitaka is that um, in some ways, of course, he's the film's hero. You mm -hmm. know, he's of such pure heart. His intentions are so good. Um, you know, it's all about his journey to try to lift this curse. Um, and at the same time, he's the most ineffectual character. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed watching it is again and again, he's having to apologize to all the other characters for his failures. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to prevent this from happening, but I didn't. Like, I'm sorry. Or I thought I could broker this truce. I'm sorry. I thought I could find this person in time. I didn't. I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, it actually, um, <laughs> reminds me of Dostoevsky's forward to Brothers Karamazov, where mm -hmm. he says, you know, you think you're going to think this is a novel about, uh, Dimitri, the big, like charismatic mm -hmm. out character, but it's actually 
a novel about Alyosha, the priest. Um, and Alyosha is a very similar character. He goes around, he tries to fix everything between the villagers and the brothers, but he's um, pretty ineffectual in terms of, you know, hard uh, goals or gains. And, you know, I, I read an interview with Miyazaki um, where he said that this was really his way of working out those feelings in himself. Mm. Um, this is really a movie about grief and mm. reckoning with um, how little we can do about things like war and violence and ecological destruction. So Ashitaka is actually um, an expression of that, that you can have the best intentions, you can be uh, a skilled warrior, you can be a great negotiator. And at the same time, you'll also have to accept how limited your powers are. Yeah, that's interesting to hear. But and, and then I think of that, like when you're saying that Ashitaka is ineffectual and thinking about his character throughout the film, like I think reckoning with that grief that like how little there is to do in the face of all of these things for Ashitaka is like what his character's journey is all about to say that, but but I feel like what it is though, is that Ashitaka is so reactive, right? Like he is not an actor in, in the way that like Mononoke is or even Eboshi, like, right? like they, these are people that have ideas and then put forth a plan into the world of how to enact that. And Ashitaka is just sort of responding to the world around him as opposed to like having a clear set of values and and developing a worldview around that. And I think that that's what makes him ineffectual is that like he, what he's seeking to do is simply to like, like I don't know, or I shouldn't be so reductive, but it feels like what he's seeking to do is to make peace among all of these different factions without ever establishing for himself, like, what do I actually believe? I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, he's the only character um, without an agenda, mm -hmm. except in as much as you could consider like stopping violence or stopping conflict and agenda. Um, and that's why the the Alyosha character came up as a parallel. Like he's almost like a, a pastoral figure or a mm -hmm. priest figure. Um, and it's interesting because the foil to his character is actually the monk or the guy dressed mm -hmm. as a monk who is also playing all sides, but with a completely self-centered. Um, yeah. So the two characters are very similar, except Ashitaka almost has no goals or um, is anti-agenda and the the monk character is completely in it for himself as an individual. Yeah, voiced in the English version by Billy Bob Thornton, which is <laughs> pretty spot on for that character's like, yeah. agenda. <laughs> yeah, the cowboy of medieval Japan. <laughs> um, I think in, in to... to Think about though uh, all of the stuff that that's being discussed in this film. I think about the origin though of all of the conflict and the action in like the very first scenes. 
where this boar that has been possessed by this demon is attacking Ashitaka's village uh, and Ashitaka is able to to kill the boar and therefore get rid of the demon, but is also attacked by the demon himself and is therefore cursed and has to go on this journey. Um, but what they dig out of the boar that they say caused the demon to possess him was a bullet. Like they don't know that it's a bullet at the time that they retrieve it, but you know what they learn later is that uh, Lady Eboshi shot this particular boar the bullet was within him and that's what caused the demon and so it, it there's there's like i mean it, it seems to be a very clear like anti-gun violence message in there but like also sort of like just thinking about the dis- like the idea of the destruction of the modern world beginning with the, the with guns yeah um yeah i think it's a pretty amazing um symbol mm-hmm. and it actually made me stop when i um understood what that was happening mm-hmm. um, because um i think especially in america <laughs> uh guns are everywhere mm-hmm. you know as soon as uh i was a young young child i was introduced to guns guns were part of the culture they were on tv and um to have someone kind of like visually depict through uh, fantasy and metaphor and symbol, the kind of violence that even one bullet wreaks on this living creature, mm-hmm. uh, I think was really powerful. And this idea that, um, you know, it's not just that uh, bullets kill, but that they um, tear apart something fundamental mm-hmm. about one's nature or one's um you know internal uh being um that's a a really strong idea um and you know i could be reading too much into this but i almost um saw it as a possible metaphor for um the atom bomb you know Mm -hmm. japan being a country that has lived through a new um yeah unseen deadly weapon and has had to live with this other kind of curse um for all the years since where uh you know no one had seen this weapon used before people didn't literally didn't know what happened on the day the bomb was dropped mm-hmm. um and it really has been something that i think collectively as humanity we've been reckoning with um ever since like what does it mean to do that to a person to a city to a nation i mean it is to to infect them right like to to purposefully infect them with something that goes unseen and unexamined because we refuse to look at it right and accept the responsibility for it um or to to make uh, to justify our actions right like the idea that there is something so so heinous and so evil that it must be eradicated via the most deadly weapon that we've ever produced. And and to say that like, there's no other means through which you could have negotiated that. Right. Like there's just anyway. (laughs) No, it's the difference between there's killing someone and then there's an act of hatred, you know? And, you know, it, it seems like in the moral world of princess Mononoke, you could kill an animal, you could kill people, 
um, you know, with swords, with daggers, with mm -hmm. teeth in the case of the wolves. Um, but then what is new and novel about the bullet is there's like an extra contempt mm. or a sense of evil that comes with it. And yeah. that is the new thing that's being introduced to this world. Yeah. But I think your point about the sort of the, the moral nuance of this film is that the people who are holding the guns for the majority of this film are exactly the people who live in Irontown who are the outcast, right? These are the people with leprosy, the folks, the women forced into sex work who have found an escape in this town and like found a place that they can live without the, the you know, the, the degradation and oppression uh, that has been forced upon them in other places, right? That they're the holders of the guns in in this story and it's to say like what what leads them to uh believing in or seeing their the only means of their protection in this deadly force yeah yeah i know it's very much a story about cycles of violence where mm -hmm. you know it is true that um guns save these women and save iron town when they're being attacked by um warlords or by the empire you know um and uh you know another really interesting little sub theme in the movie is how um it's also a movie about the um destruction of matriarchies so Iron Town is a kind of matriarchy. Mm. Um, the village Ashitaka leaves uh, very much listens to and respects this elder woman. Mm -hmm. The wolf clan is a matriarchy. Um, and so, you know, with within this otherwise patriarchal system, like mm -hmm. the women of Iron Town are arming themselves with guns. Uh, the wolves have no problem, you know, um, biting and beheading people um so so there there is something interesting about the way violence operates in the film where it's not um it's not exactly like all force is bad um it really makes you examine the different um meanings and contexts of force yeah, because if we think of the the very nature of the town, like of Iron Town, that becomes this haven for all of these outcasts, it is to say that. But uh, what they're the means through which Lady Eboshi establishes this is by uh, participating in and bringing about that ecological destruction by continuing to mine the town and destroy the the, the forest and uh, mine the town for iron and for the production of these guns and, and everything that they're using to prosper within that is to say, do you get a pass because right, like the all of the 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 ends here are the protection of those who have found no protection elsewhere like do you get a pass for then being exploitative right like it's to say like i don't believe so but it's to ask like what do you say to the people who have found that new that new form of protection yeah exactly and you know I think this is where, again, like Ashitaka's moral 
lens is the lens that we're kind of invited into as the viewers where, you know, uh, in one moment, Ashitaka is really, he's getting a tour of Iron Town and he's, you know, really understanding how much Lady Boshi has done for the people of Iron Town. Mm -hmm. And then in the next minute, the demon force inside him almost has him kill Lady Boshi. Mm -hmm. And so he is going through this very intense, like internal struggle to try to make sense and uh, figure out his place within this world. And, you know, that is very much where we are today. You know, where do you tell, um, how do you tell people how much resources <laughs> they're allowed or not allowed to use in this uh, time of ecological disaster? Um, how do you regulate that? Like, how do you um, offer or model a different way of being in relationship to nature? Um, when for some people it literally is about survival mm -hmm. and for others it might not be about survival but it has to do with other traumas um that they're carrying and that uh, leads them to consume or to be in relation to nature that's more violent um so so all of these moral questions i think are like absolutely what we are dealing with right now and we'll be dealing with Ryan, what's one lasting image that sticks with you from Princess Mononoke? Okay, so I'm of a generation that I think grew up with this movie. You know, I'm a millennial, and especially like within my experience of Asian America, <laughs> this has mm -hmm. been such a touchstone movie. So I'm gonna cheat and choose two. No, go ahead. They, they become gifts, you know. Mm -hmm. These are some of the first gifts I ever saw. <laughs> uh, the first is the first time Ashitaka sees Mononoke and um, Mononoke's mother, the wolf clan head has just been shot. And uh, Princess Mononoke runs up to her, puts her mouth on the wound and um, sucks blood, sucks mm -hmm. the uh, potentially infected or unclean blood and spits it out. And it's such an amazing moment and that's been made into a gif and it shows you so much about Mononoke's character. Like she really is this animal uh, and she really is a part of this clan. And the second is um, when the forest spirit appears mm -hmm. and the forest spirit um, walks on the grass and with every step, there's this blooming of life. And as soon as the hoof leaves the ground, that life dies away. Mm. And it's this amazing visual metaphor for how close life and death are and that you know the four spirits job is not just to give life but also to take it okay these are intended to be quick answer questions but who knows no, nobody ever answers them quickly what is your all-time favorite film yeah it was another film that has been on this podcast but i gotta say godfather part two. Oh yeah <laughs> You know, as someone why, why part two over part one? Yeah, um, part two because of the intergenerational aspect of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, both are, of course, but you know, as someone who sits here a lot thinking about diaspora and mm -hmm. you know, 
my family and everything that's lost and gained in coming to America and mm. navigating whiteness, um, just the way it flips back and forth in time between, uh, you know, the young Michael and the young um, Vito or Don Corleone is just so brilliant. And it shows so much of that story. Love that answer. <laughs> um, and what is a film that best captures the idea of family to you? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick an obscure one. It's this movie called What's Cooking? Okay. in 2000 uh you know kind of medium low budget movie but that has has quite a few kind of like big stars in it um and it's this movie about <laughs> the premise is so like uh 90s to me but it's these four families one is asian one is latino one is black one is jewish and they're all sitting down for thanksgiving dinner in los angeles and it's all about like just the drama that blows up at each family so like someone's having an affair someone's mm -hmm. ex comes back someone uh has a gun someone is uh you know pregnant and just like these families hashing it out over the thanksgiving dinners and then you start to realize that their lives are intertwined um so for a while you know we would watch that uh, my family and i would watch that during thanksgiving and it's just a very sweet fun um comedy heartwarmer yeah oh, i've never heard of this one i'm gonna have to look that up <laughs> yeah it's, it's definitely peak like multiculturalism <laughs> <laughs> yeah great uh ryan thanks so much for joining me yeah it's been a delight thanks michael thanks for listening to open forum podcast from Lit Hub Radio, produced by Eliza Smith and Justin Alvarez, and hosted by me, Michael Denzel Smith. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe to Open Forum wherever you get your podcasts, and or sign up for the Lit Hub newsletter to stay up to date on our latest episodes. If you're enjoying what you hear, share Open Forum with a friend or on social media. Next week, the boombox is blasting Peter Gabriel, and we're looking to get hurt. <laughs>